His love is so high that infinity cannot encompass it. It is so deep, depravity can never exhaust it. Because God does not forgive sins, He forgives sinners. It is deeply personal with Him. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Over the last few Sundays, we have been spending our Sunday mornings in a study series entitled Radical Discipleship. Today, we turn to Exodus chapter 3, and we're reading the first six verses together. Exodus chapter 3, and you'll find it on page 90, 90 of the Church Bible. The subtitle you will see is Moses and the Burning Bush. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was in fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw what had gone, that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His holy word. If I were to ask you this morning, what is your top five Bible stories, what would you say? Take 10 or 15 seconds and work out what are your favorites. The more you think, the more difficult it becomes, would you agree? Because limiting them to five is almost impossible, because each time you think of one, it makes you think of another. But I would have to say, certainly my top 20 is this story of Moses at the burning bush. I remember almost like yesterday, being seven or eight years old, and the teacher reading me the story of Exodus chapter 3 of Moses at the burning bush. And I thought, wow, what must that have been like? And Exodus chapter 3 is a microcosm of all of the major themes in the book of Exodus. It highlights for us the justice of God. It highlights the mercy of God, the goodness of God, the holiness of God, and God's sovereign purposes are all wrapped up in Exodus chapter 3. But one of the things that strikes me the most each time I come back to Exodus chapter 3 is this, an encounter with God, an encounter with God Himself. 
Can you imagine what that would be like to encounter the living God the way Moses did that day? Have you any sense of what that would be? Now, hold that thought, and let me remind you of chapters 1 and chapter 2. In chapters 1 and 2, Moses is born. His parents take him, put him in a basket, and they put him into the Nile River, and they send him off down the Nile. And the reason they did that was the historical context. Jewish people were living in Egypt at the time. They were slaves. They were treated badly. They were maligned and brutalized. They were marginalized and kept as slaves. Moses' parents knew that if a baby girl was born, well, the girl would survive. But if a baby boy was born, he was to be put to death. Can you imagine the fear and the anxiety and the uncertainty of a young mother and father waiting on their child being born? Well, you know the first question. Is it a boy? Is it a girl? But Moses' parents were walking with God. And I suspect Moses' parents knew this, that back in Genesis, some 500 years previously, God had said to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, I will be your God, and I will enter into a covenant relationship for you, and I will walk with you all your days, and I will be with you, and I will never leave you, and you will be mine, and this promise is for you and your children." And it's repeated throughout Scripture. And in fact, on the day of Pentecost, Peter brings that spectacular sermon to a close on Pentecost by saying this, this promise is for you and your children. And I wonder if Moses' parents, in sensing the love and faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God, understood all that was in store for Moses. I don't think there's any doubt that they had a deep and lasting conviction that God had a destiny of blessing and a purpose of grace for this child. A destiny of blessing and a purpose of grace for this child. And when they put him in the Nile and pushed him off, they had been thinking and preparing, and they knew that Pharaoh's daughter washed in the, the river not far from that spot, and prayerfully, and I'm careful with my words here, they prayerfully abandoned Moses to the purposes of God. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's household. As you know, he was a prince of Egypt. He knew a little about his background, and on one occasion he went to visit the Hebrew people. One of them was being badly treated and beaten, in fact, by an Egyptian. And Moses intervenes, and his anger boils up. And in fact, he takes matters into his own hands, and he kills the Egyptian. He tried to hide the body. He knew what he had done. He recognized all the ramifications of what he had done. And the next day, he fled Egypt and landed in Midian. 
married a girl who, excuse me, was a priest's daughter, and he became a shepherd. And for 40 years, think of that, 40 years, not a single word passed between God and Moses. Not a single word. Moses, the great emancipator of the people of Israel, for 40 years, nothing. And what was God doing during those 40 years? Moses, I want you to be a shepherd. I need you to look after my sheep. And he was fashioning and shaping the heart and mind and soul of Moses. Moses, look after these sheep. Never do what they're told. Run all over the place. No one can lead them. And then he says, Moses, having had 40 years with sheep, now come and lead my people. And basically, that's what happened. But the night before, there was no premonition. There was no angelic appearance. There was no dream. There was no meteor in the sky. God did not tap Moses on the shoulder and say, Moses, tomorrow, tomorrow, you and I, it was a normal, everyday sort of day. Moses is looking after the sheep. He sees a burning bush on fire, and yet it's not being consumed, and he thinks, okay, let's see what's going on. And as he moves closer, God calls to him, Moses, Moses. And Moses, I think, with some intrepidation, says, yes, Lord, and moves closer to see what goes on. Here I am. And God speaks to Moses. And notice what he says. When Moses said, here I am, verse 5, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Can I ask you this morning to be incredibly open with me and ask you to use your imagination a little? Could you just for a fraction of a second grasp the enormity of what takes place here in the life of Moses? that Moses is there in the presence of Almighty God. This is called, in Old Testament studies, a theophany. When the manifestation of God is real and intimate and overwhelming, God Himself, have you any sense of what that is like? What would you give for such an experience when everything else is shut out? Nothing else could prepare you for such an experience. Moses, take off your sandals. Where you stand is holy ground. And I think God was saying to him, Moses, take off your sandals. Put them to one side. You're not going anywhere. Moses, I need you to focus. Mo Moses, pay attention. Focus. I have something to tell you. 
And when God goes on then to say, I am the God of your father, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what was he saying? He was saying this, that Moses, as I have been faithful to them, I will be faithful to you. And right there, Moses understood this, that God, in all of His transcendent glory and wonder and majesty and dominion, was right there with Him. And no wonder Moses was afraid. Can you blame him even for a second? Because what we experience is this, that when we enter into the presence of a holy God, sovereign in all His ways, who spoke and the world was made, the first thing we realize and experience is this, the unworthy nature of our own hearts and lives. That's the thing that impacts us. We see holiness in all of its undiluted splendor and glory, and we feel the depravity and enormity of our own sin. No wonder Moses was afraid. He should have been it would quite naturally be an unnerving experience for anyone. And Moses got it. He understood. He understood. And when Moses is spoken to by God, Moses realizes the significance of what is taking place. And with a sense of intimacy at a level very few obtain, Moses begins to converse with God. The one main characteristic of Moses in the Scripture is this, and it's highlighted for us in Deuteronomy 34.10, and it says this, God spoke to Moses as a friend. Can you imagine that? Think of the depths of intimacy, the bond that they had between them regularly. It was almost like going out for a cup of coffee with your best friend. That was Moses, and it begins here. And in the course of this experience, Moses, I think, realizes a whole number of things. And the first thing he realizes is this, that even in the midst of the most extreme circumstances, and remember, Moses has taken a man's life, the most heinous of crimes. Moses realizes the forgiveness and love and mercy and restoration of God and His grace. The past from that day on no longer dominated the rest of Moses' life. His identity, his purpose, were no longer found in who he used to be in Egypt, but who he was now, the friend of God. And please hear me when I say this. 
that if you are here this morning and your past is dominating your life and your identity and purpose is wrapped up in it and you cannot get beyond it, allow me please to plead with you to put it down and leave it there and walk away. In the purposes of God, the past is firmly the past. And for Moses, a new day had come, a day of renewal and refreshment, a day of recommitment happened right there for Moses. And secondly, Moses comes to an understanding that would shape him for the rest of his days. Millions of others down through the centuries understand what Moses understood that day. Moses understood that the love and grace and mercy and goodness of God was beyond anything he could hope for. I think during the past 40 years of silence, Moses had longed to experience what he was now experiencing. And it's radical in nature. And radical disciples always understand what I'm about to say next. And what I'm about to say will initially come across as controversial and unbelievable, and you may be well end up saying, Richard, I cannot believe you would say such a thing. Well, let me say it, and please listen. I need your undivided attention. The radical disciple learns this lesson, that God does not forgive sin. Let me say it again. God does not forgive sin. He forgives sinners. He forgives sinners, real people who have lived real lives, who have been faced with overwhelming odds and challenges, whose lives at times have come apart whose poor choices and bad decisions and sin has debilitated and crippled their relationship with Him. That was Moses. That may well be you. God does not forgive sin. He forgives sinners, because with God it is deeply personal, deeply personal. Now, hold that thought for a second and allow me to apply it to the events of the last five or six days. The striking thing is I have been listening to the news bulletins coming out of Charleston, watching it on the news, people in Charleston being interviewed, friends of those who have lost their lives, family members. And the thing that has struck me more and more and more is this. There has been no street protests in Charleston. There's been no looting of shops or setting cars on fire. But family members and friends and those who lost people they loved deeply 
have looked into the camera lens and talked of love and forgiveness and grace and faith and renewal and moving on. And if ever the love of Christ saturated an event, we have seen it over these last five or six days because they know what we know, that God does not forgive sin. He forgives sinners, real people who have betrayed His love, have trampled all over His goodness and grace, and He still loves with an everlasting love. When God said to Moses, I am the Father, excuse me, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He was reminding Moses of the great deeds of God in the past. And in so doing, he was saying to him, Moses, as I refuse to let them go, I will not let you go. You can trust me. I have you. You are mine. And this morning, as we have gathered around this table, we have celebrated and rejoiced and remembered the greatest act of God in all of history, that when we think of the cross, we remember His love. When we focus on bread broken and wine poured, we remember that His love lasts for eternity. Through all of eternity, millennia cannot weary it. Denial, betrayal, and apathy cannot empty it of its power. His love is so high that infinity cannot encompass it. It is so deep, depravity can never exhaust it because God does not forgive sins. He forgives sinners. It is deeply personal with Him. And if you are here this morning and you have never given your heart and life to Him, let me plead with you today. This is your hour with Him. Today, this morning, He's calling you, as He called Moses, to come and know Him, to be overwhelmed by His forgiveness and His grace, to be renewed and refreshed, and to know Him. That's the kind of experience Moses had then. And so many of us have had sins. Or it may be you are here this morning and you have wandered from Him. You once had a faith that was living and active, and somehow apathy and indifference has come into your life, and you have grown cold you know He's there. You know how much He loves you and cares for you. And is He calling you this morning to step away from what was and become what is and to begin with Him again? Remember, He does not forgive sin. He forgives 
sinners. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for all that we have been reminded of this morning. And as we bring our time together to a close, help us please to grasp and grapple with a biblical understanding of Your majesty and grace and grandeur and splendor and Your incomparable love. Father, for those of us this morning who need to experience afresh Your forgiveness, may that be a living reality for us. And we ask for such because we do seek Your forgiveness. We have hurt You and others and betrayed You and wandered from You and denied Your love and grace, and yet we know it to be true. For those of us who know You and yet have willfully disobeyed You, Father, forgive us, cleanse us, renew us, refresh us, please, O oh God. Father, hear our prayers, for we bring them to you in and through the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Are you interested in membership at First Presbyterian, or do you just want to learn more about our church and denomination? Join us for our next First Look class on Sunday mornings. Register with Chuck Emery at 672-1753 or see Emery at firstpressgreenville.org. Hi, my name is Richard Gibbons. I'm one of the pastors here at First Presbyterian. If you are wondering what First Presbyterian Church is like, one of the things you will discover is that each time you come, you will receive a very warm welcome. I have the pleasure of assisting with a number of ministries here at this church. I teach five new member classes a year. Also help to lead mission trips to the Dominican Republic. And uh, we at this church do a number of things that impact our community. It's a wonderful place to serve. It's a wonderful place to belong. My main responsibilities include family ministries, which is marriage, men's ministry, and young adults. I also have the joy of serving the night worship service. My passion here at the church is to point others to the love and grace found in Jesus Christ. My particular job is in education, uh, whether it's adult education or youth or children. I have something to do with it uh, and would love to talk with you at any time about the things that you can learn from the Bible in our education courses here at First Presbyterian Church. Congregational care covers a lot of ground in a, a church like ours. Essentially, we believe that uh, the mission of the church is to care for one another uh, as well as to outreach in the community. So our desire is to provide for the spiritual, emotional, and physical care of the members of our congregation and extend that also to the needs of our community. I'm Tina Jones. I'm the director of the children's ministry here at First Presbyterian. Scripture says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We have a very vibrant children's ministry. When you come on a Sunday morning, your children have not just childcare, we also offer ministry. One of the amazing things about First Presbyterian is our location. We're situated at the heart of Greenville, a growing and vibrant city. 
everything from children's ministry and youth ministry to a prayer ministry. And being very active in the community gives us an opportunity to spread and share the love of Christ. If you are looking for a Sunday morning experience that is engaging, vibrant and life transforming, please come and join us.